It is always just a joy to be with you and to um, just to be with you. Uh, I get to be with a lot of your husbands and um, the men of the church, and it is just really a, a special treat to be with you. I get to be with the ladies tomorrow night, too, at um, Women's Ministry on Friday night. I encourage you to come. We'll be talking more um, about uh, some things from Proverbs in the heart um, that are, I think, really encouraging. They've been for me anyway. Uh, so get your friends, take somebody new to church that you've just met, ask them to come with you. Um, but we're going to dig in this morning um, and wrap up. This is this is your last Wellspring for the year. Uh, that's amazing. Um, you can pick up your checks on the way out. You're getting paid. Um, it's really great. I didn't bring them. Yeah. Well, why don't we pray, and then we'll take a look at God's Word this morning um, and try to wrap up our thinking about the heart for the year uh, with some troubling truths regarding the heart and some comforting truths. Okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, the great privilege of uh, just being together. And Lord, what what calls us together um, and binds us together is not any one of us here, but your precious Son who called us to himself in the gospel and um, and he forgave our sin through his death and he has made us into new creatures in him and we find that we are in this new creature status with uh, hearts eager um, to obey you and yet hearts still um, tugged and pulled on by sin. But Lord, we um, give thanks to you for this condition that we are in because it is infinitely better than what we were before. As slaves to sin who could only choose sin and were running from you as rebels. And yet, God, we put our hope not in this current condition we are in, but we put our hope in you and in the condition we will have when we fall asleep in Jesus or when he comes back and we are resurrected, raptured, Oh, Father, we are eager to be in that unmixed condition yet to come. Uh, We thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for your Bible that reveals all of this to us. It tells us so much about you. tells us about who we are. And we pray today, Lord, that as we interact with your word, that we would humble ourselves and we would put ourselves under your word and not sit over it and judge it, but let it speak over our lives. And we pray, God, that our interaction with your word would Lead us to worship you, that this would be a time of worship, um, not just an academic pursuit or a theological pursuit. So, God, we um, have much that we ask for, and we know that we have not exhausted um, your ability to answer these prayers, and we are trusting that you will. So, God, bless our time together this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You can take your uh, handout this morning. I'm going to uh, walk you through three troubling truths for my heart and then five comforting truths for my heart. I'm going to give you the, the first three all at once if I can. you got some blanks there, I think. Is that right? To fill in on one, two, and three? No? I filled them in for you? That's no fun. Well, that's going to take like at least 30 seconds out of my time. You can see what they are. Let's walk through them. Um, 
What keeps the sinner from God is hardness of heart, number one. So we're going to talk about that troubling truth that the heart can be hard before God and hardened before God. Number two, whenever possible, unbelief will naturally take root in the heart, not belief. That's a troubling um, truth that you need to come to grips with. Number three, self-made religion never moves the heart nearer to God. So even if it did cross the sinner's mind that he should be religious because God has moral expectations for his creatures, and so the, the sinner's going to pick up his own moral code and he's going to try to impress God or be religious, that never moves the heart nearer to God. That's a troubling truth to come to grips with. And so these three troubling truths that we'll look at first here certainly characterize the unbeliever. These are true in totality for the unbeliever. The unbeliever's heart is hard. The unbeliever's heart is always falling to unbelief and not to belief in God. The unbeliever's heart is never moved nearer to God through self-religion. But these three troubling truths also still harass you and me as believers. They do. Um, hardness of heart is something that you need to be very aware of. Um, you can probably see evidence in your own life that um, how easy it is for you to not believe the promises of God, not trust what you know to be true in Scripture. And you might even find at times that your lips sound like you just came out of the presence of God, but your heart is someplace else. Because you have indwelling sin, you still have a lingering effect of sin in you to harass you with these um, troubling truths. So let's start with number one. And by doing that, we need to turn to Ephesians 4. We're going to be in several passages this morning. <coughs> Ephesians 4, verse 17. The first troubling truth... What keeps the sinner from God is hardness of heart. Let me read verses 17 and 19 for you from Ephesians 4. Paul says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you believers walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. Those are the unbelievers. So walk no longer like they walk. Well, how do they walk? Those unbelievers, they walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Uh, what we're going to do is laser in on at the end of verse 18. Um, because of the hardness of their heart. Do you see it there? That describes why... The unbelievers have a deeply ingrained ignorance in them. You see, right before that, in verse 18, they have um, there's an ignorance that is in them, and that ignorance is in them because of the hardness of their hearts. Um, so this is not um, this ignorance that is talked about in verse 18. This is not an accidental ignorance that they just that they just didn't know. Um, oftentimes, like what your kids will say to you, "I didn't know." Um, Maybe you even say that once in a while. This is not an ignorance that caught these unbelievers by surprise. They could not say, I didn't see that ignorance coming my way. But this is actually, this, the biblical idea of ignorance is not our idea of ignorance. That somebody's just, they just don't know and God bless them, right? 
This is not that. This is Romans chapter 1 kind of ignorance that even though they know what is true about God, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The, the, um, the illustration that I use um, uh, oftentimes is um, of, a, of a, like a little child knows that a little girl knows that she just um, did exactly what mommy does not want her to do. And so the little girl refuses to look at mommy because the little girl knows what the face of mommy will display. And that little girl wants to remain unaware of what she knows is true. So she is ignorant of mommy's face and so she won't look at mom and mom will have to say, let me see your eyes, let me see your eyes. And so they'll turn their face and look at, but then the eyes will still do this. And you'll hold that precious little face, right? And the eyes still go everywhere and you wish you were somewhere you'd grab the eyeballs and just hold on to them. <laughs> Don't try that, that's a bad thing. Don't do that. Why? Why do they not want to look? Because they do not want to know what they know. And that is a hardened, purposeful ignorance. And that is the biblical idea of, of ignorance in these sinners. And that ignorance came from somewhere. That ignorance is due to something in the unbeliever. It is because of the hardness of heart, a dullness of heart, an insensibility in the heart. That, that heart cannot be penetrated. It's like a dry, crusty, hard ground that a hand trowel will not drag. You can drag it across it and it just scrapes across the top. It sounds like cement when you take a hand trowel. What you need is a pickaxe. And you need to swing at that hard dirt to get it to break up. Now, let's work our way, keep working backwards a little bit through verse 18 and then we'll look at verse 19 as well. Remember, this hardness of heart is the ultimate cause for why they are so deeply ingrained in their willful ignorance of God. And that is the cause of them being alienated or excluded from the life of God. So they're excluded from the life of God because of this deeply ingrained ignorance which came from their hardness of heart. So you can even trace this all the way, this being separated from the very life that is God is due to hardness of heart. And that being excluded from the life of God, that's the description of what it means that they're darkened in their understanding. Why are they darkened in their reasoning processes? Well, because they're not even connected to the life of God, which is because of their ignorance, which is in them, which is because of this hard heart condition. Don't walk this way anymore, believer. That's what Paul is saying. Don't live this way. This is why they have a futile mind, verse 17. This is why their, their mindset in, in their living is completely off track. That it ends in, in, in vanity. It ends in a wastefulness. It's because they're darkened in their understanding, which is through the, their, their disconnection from the life of God, which is because of the ignorance that is in them. And that ignorance came to them because of hardness of heart. What keeps the sinner from God is hardness of heart. Now let's go to verse 19 and see what the result is. And they, having become callous, see there's, there's another way of describing the hardness of heart. There's, now they're just calloused over. You know how a callous is? I, I used to play guitar a lot more. I could take my, my fingertips, I could touch like hot pans, hot coffee. I remember with my hot cup of coffee, I, I could sit there with one hand and touch my fingertips to it and not even feel it in the other hand. I, that's what callus does, is it makes you unable to feel. 
they, having become that way, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Um, They're greedy, but not for money. They're greedy for impurity and being sensual because their hearts have become unfeeling towards God. See, because they've come unfeeling towards God doesn't mean that they've become unfeeling altogether. They're unfeeling towards God, but boy, do they want to feel, sense impurity. Christian, don't walk that way anymore. You can't walk that way anymore. So what keeps the sinner from God is hardness of heart. Now, the heart of man, every single one of us is, is this way from birth because of Adam's fall, because of our connection with Adam. But God also, you know, he, he warns the believer. Um, he doesn't just say, hey, look, you're going to be this way. There's nothing you can do about it. It's true. But you know what he also says? He also simultaneously warns man to not harden his own heart. This is a self-hardening that we do, that we participate in. Will it happen to us by nature of what we are as sinners? Yes. But we will also participate in it, and we're actually warned to not do it. Um, In fact, go to Hebrews chapter 3 now. Let's take a look at this. (coughs) Hebrews 3, I'll just show you several verses. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. This is God speaking. The Holy Spirit saying, if you hear his voice, if you hear God speak, don't harden your hearts. How about um, verse 15? Same thing. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, God says. How about chapter 4, verse 7? Same thing. He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as had been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is God's warning to his people, Israel in the Old Testament, and now his warning to the church. Watch this heart of yours. It can be hardened, and you'll harden it. Don't do it. And when do you do it? When you hear his word. When you hear his voice spoken through God's word. Look back at chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Listen, wherever you find sin, that's where you find deceitfulness with the sin. And wherever deceitfulness of sin is, you will find yourself being tempted to being hardened. So wherever there is sin in your life, it is very, very unwise to not address it. Because with every single sin comes deceitfulness. And with that deceitfulness of sin is the ability to be hardened in your heart by that. And the church is called to announce to one another and say to one another over and over, because there's still this lingering effect of sin in you and because sin is deceitful and because you can be hardened by that, don't harden your hearts, believers. These are troubling truths for the unbeliever. There's a, there's a big difference between the unbeliever and us if we are in Christ. What's the big difference? The difference is not that the unbeliever hardens his heart and the Christian doesn't. 
Do you understand me? That is not the primary difference. The difference is who's a slave to hardness of heart. The unbeliever is a slave to hardness of heart. The believer is not a slave to hardness of heart anymore because God set us free in that, as you'll see. You can be, uh, as an unbeliever, all you can be is enslaved to hardness of heart. As a Christian, you are harassed by it, but not enslaved by it. Harassed by it. Plagued by it. Entangled by it. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. But not enslaved to it anymore. All you could do before Christ was in your heart was harden your heart all the time. Guess what you will never have to worry about in heaven? You will never have to worry ever again about hardness of heart. You'll always have perpetually, eternally a soft heart towards God. Right now, you're in this mixed condition where you are no longer a slave to hardness of heart, but you are harassed by it. And you must fight against it. Okay? Troubling truth that the heart can be hardened. Number two, whenever possible, unbelief will naturally take root in the heart. Belief will not naturally take root in the heart. Uh, Let's look at Hebrews 3, since we're there already. Let's look at it again. Watch this. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Now, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with the writer of Hebrews and what he's addressing. If you don't know this, it's important to understand why the writer of Hebrews is even writing. Um, He's writing to Hebrew Christians. That's why the book's called to the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews. These are Hebrew Christians who have come out of Judaism. And what Judaism was all about, um, it had perverted everything that God said in the Old Testament. It said um, Judaism had become a bankrupt religion. This is what Jesus addressed. This is what Paul had become before he was converted. And this is what Paul had to fight once he became the Apostle Paul. He had to fight against the whole Judaistic, Judaistic way of thinking that said... God, I see that you want us to conform to the moral standard of Mosaic law. And and I will, without trusting in you. I'll present to you my own religion. I'll present to you my own religious efforts. And I will establish my own righteousness before you. The Old Testament never said to do that. That was a perversion of Old Testament truth. And the Jews did that. They said, I will establish my own righteousness by obeying Mosaic law. What a perversion of Mosaic law. Mosaic law was never given by God so that the Jews would start to obey and get God's attention. He delivered them and he said, now, conform to me. Conform to my standard. And they flipped it around. Okay. Why did they do that? Was it because the Jews were just worse people than others? No, here's why they did it. They're human. And if you had come to the Germans, or if you had come to the Africans, if you had come to any group of people, Asians, Americans, Caucasians, we would all do it. Any race, any nationality would do this, because this is what it means to be human. We look at God and we say, oh, you want me to trust in you and then conform to your standard? Well, no, just give me your rules and watch what I'll do with them. I can do it. See, that's the arrogance of man. And so he is now writing to Hebrew Christians who got saved out of that and are now following Messiah Jesus. But now they're being persecuted by the Jews, their fellow brothers in, in nationality. And some of them are being tempted to go back to Judaism. Okay, 
the persecution is leading them to go back. And so the writer to Hebrew to the Hebrews is saying, I'm going to secure you in Christ. That's why Hebrews exalts Christ, sets Christ up so high, compares him to Moses. He's better than Moses, compares him to the angels. He's better than the angels. And he says to this group of Hebrew believers, some of them are trickling their way back to Judaism. And this is what he says to them. Take care, brethren, verse 12 of Hebrews 3, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is what you say to a collective group of people who profess to believe in Jesus and some of them are trickling away to error. You call them all to be careful that there's not in any one of them an evil, unbelieving heart. Do you understand? That's what you say to people who are considering walking away from the gospel. So, whenever possible, unbelief will naturally take its place in the heart. So be careful that there's not in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Evidently, as a group of people who profess to follow Christ, whenever we gather together, um, it's an appropriate thing in our condition to still say to one another, um, don't go after an evil, unbelieving heart. Okay? Now, churches to labor to root out this kind of natural inclination to not trust in the living God. And and here's the stark reality. Because of the lingering effects of sin within us, if you do nothing with your heart, ladies, you tell me, where does it go naturally? Trusting God? You just naturally, you wake up and you haven't done anything with your heart for hours and the first thought on your mind is I just trust the Lord so much this morning if you're that way would you please come just encourage me afterwards be my first thought is I have to dig my heart out of the pit of unbelief and drag it before the truth of God's word and remind it this isn't because I'm not saved or I lost my salvation or because you lost your salvation it's because of the lingering effects of sin still within us in this new condition, which is mixed, right? You have to tell yourself the truth all the time. Now, let me go and show you another example of this. Luke 24. Luke 24. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, had to deal with this with his disciples. Remember, he's walking on the road to Emmaus and uh, with a couple of disciples. They didn't recognize him. And they, he's like, what are you guys so sad about? And they said, well, where have you been? Don't you know anything that just happened in Jerusalem? There was this guy, we thought he was Messiah, and that he was going to do everything that the Bible said he was going to do, and he's dead. And it's been three days since he's been dead. Verse 25 of Luke 24. And Jesus said to them, O foolish men, and quick of heart to believe. No. Slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You see, what did they just see? They may not have seen it with their eyes, But they knew that there was a bloody mess outside of Jerusalem accomplished by a substitute who was holy, not guilty. An innocent substitute shed his blood outside the city of Jerusalem and they didn't connect the dots between what the Old Testament said and that. These are his disciples who spent three years with him. 
It's not Jesus' fault. It's the disciples' fault that they are slow of heart to believe. And the reason they're that way is not because they're Galileans. It's because they're human. And they're just like me. They're just like you. The heart is slow to believe. The hearts were not quick to tie what they saw back to the scriptures, what they revealed about Jesus. He said in verse 26, was it not necessary for Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then we know what he did. He opened up the scriptures to them. Verse 44, these are my words which I taught to you or spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ would suffer, rise again from the dead on the third day, and you need to preach repentance for forgiveness of sins. The second troubling truth is that naturally unbelief will arise in the heart. Um, if you, on a hot summer day in Arizona, on a metal slide, I don't even think they make them. Or are there metal slides? There still are. If you put an ice cube at the top of a hot metal slide in August, there's only one thing that ice cube's going to do. And it's going to be steam by the time it hits the bottom. There's only one thing that will happen to your heart if you do nothing to it. You don't even have to push that ice cube. Just do nothing with it, and it slides down. There's only one thing that will happen to your heart if you do nothing with it it will just slide towards unbelief because of the residue effects of sin inside you and inside of me. Third troubling truth. Self-made religion never moves the heart nearer to God. Go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. Then some Pharisees and scribes, I'm going to start back at verse 1. They came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they said, why do, you, uh, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat bread. Yes, that's very important to them. And he answered and said to them, you know, I, Smed and I were talking about this um, yesterday. Smed wants to do a study sometime of all of the questions ever asked Jesus. And there's like maybe one or two of them where he actually answered it. The question before him. You know why he doesn't answer them? Because it's the wrong question. And so he just doesn't even bother with the wrong question and he just goes to the better question and asks that or he answers the right question even though they didn't ask the right question. And he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Here's what God said, honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But here's what you say. Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you, oh, Bummer, that's been given to God. Doesn't that sound really righteous and good? I'd love to help you, Dad, but I gave it to God instead. He is not to honor his mother or father. And by this you um, invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition, your teaching. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips. I gave it to God. But their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. These religious men hope that um, this is what the Jews had become. This is what Judaism had become. That God, see my teaching. See my rules. See my tradition. See my good deeds. And God, you'll be moved. You'll be so impressed that you'll be willing to set aside your teaching for mine. So that's what they've already done. They've already set aside God's commandments and replaced them with their own. And they're going to think God's going to be okay with that. 
They're confident God will do that. They're very innovative. They appear very religious. But God's assessment of them is that even though they are religious, their hearts are very far away from them. Verse 8. So, let's summarize these first three troubling truths. These only three troubling truths I've given you. There's many more, I'm sure. Hardness of heart keeps the sinner from God. Or we could put it another way. Number two, the heart falls into unbelief naturally. You don't have to even try. It just That's where it goes. But suppose that that unbelieving heart decides that, you know what, I'm, I'll be religious. I can do this. I'll go to church. I'll do the things that Christians do. Suppose that unbelieving hard heart decides, I can do this. I, I can get God to accept my version of what everybody's doing. Suppose they say that. That kind of heart is not open to God. That kind of heart is not in a good condition with God. That heart is not near to God. The only hope for a sinner with that kind of a heart is God himself. God himself must come to that kind of a heart and not wait for it to clean itself up and fix its problems. But God is motivated not by what your heart is capable of as an unbeliever. God is motivated by his own heart just to save sinners. And so this is where we get five comforting truths. And I just want to remind you again, as before we step into these comforting truths, um, even though you once were enslaved by hardness of heart, if you are in Christ, you are now just harassed by hardness of heart. You're not enslaved by it anymore. But you will be harassed by it, and you do need to be careful of it. You need to listen to those warnings in Scripture that say, don't harden your heart. You only could fall into doubt and unbelief as an unbeliever, you are no longer a slave to that, but you are harassed by doubt every day and unbelief. And so you must be very careful um, to recognize that you are quicker to disbelieve than you are to believe. So you have to shepherd your heart that way. And even though you are not enslaved to the idea of establishing your own self-made religion before God to impress God, even though you're not enslaved by that anymore, you still need to watch out for the fact that you can before others want to sound with your lips like you're very close to God but your heart is far away Um, you're harassed by that condition I'm harassed by that condition let not many of you become teachers James says because you always give the impression by being a teacher that you're close to God it doesn't mean your heart is you need to be very careful um, with these troubling truths now five comforting truths And I want you to watch in particular God's interaction with the heart from beginning to end. Number one, God enlightens. Did I even give you those blanks to fill in? I filled them in for you? Okay. God enlightens dark hearts to know Christ. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 and 6. For we did not preach ourselves, Paul says in verse 5, which is what some of the uh, super apostles were doing, the, the ones who were claiming to be apostles among the Corinthians. They were preaching themselves. But Paul says, we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus as Lord. And if we did preach ourselves as anything, what would it be? Slaves, for Jesus' sake. That's what I am. I'm a slave of Jesus, Paul says. For God, who said... Light shall shine out of darkness. Now, when did God say that? 
Genesis. That's when he created, right? So God the Creator said, that one who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. If God shines into our hearts to give this spiritual enlightenment, then that means the heart before that was what? Dark. Spiritually dark. And so what kind of powerful light or what kind of a light power is it that can do this, that can bring light to a darkened heart? You know what kind of power it is? It's the power of God as creator. Here's how bad the darkened heart is. It takes one who can speak a word and an earth forms. That kind of power who can say light be, and it is, it takes that kind of creator power to take a heart that is darkness, an inner woman, an inner man, and say, bring light there. You see, the problem of sin is not a, a minor problem, and it's not a problem that you can fix with any kind of power you have. It takes the very power of creator God, who is the redeemer God, to do this, to come and overpower the darkness within he doesn't wait for your darkened mind as an unbeliever, your hardened, unbelieving heart to turn the light on. He just comes and does it. He enlightens dark hearts to know Christ. And in particular, if you look at verse 6, he's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge. To, the light needs to come on so we can know. So we can know what? So we can know the glory of God. Well, where do you find this glory of God? It's in the face of Jesus Christ. It's in the person of Jesus. There's no hope of knowing that glory of God in the face of Christ unless he turns the light on, spiritually speaking. Number two, God cleanses hearts through faith. Let's go to Acts 15. Acts chapter 15, verse 6. God cleanses hearts through faith. This is that uh, terrible problem that came up where um, in Antioch of Syria, some Jews came down from Judea. And verse one, they said, well, wait a minute. I know you guys, I know you Gentile believers think you're believers, but actually, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Okay, that's, that's heresy coming from the Jews in Judea coming from the Christians in the, in the church connected with the church in Jerusalem. This is a huge problem. I mean, this is like this. This was potentially derailing the whole gospel mission in chapter 15. There'd be no more chapters to write if it worked. And so they go to Jerusalem and they debate this. Verse six, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and he said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. That was when he went to Cornelius's house and Cornelius had his house full of Gentiles. Anybody he knew, he brought him into his home. And verse eight, God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. I mean, we're Jews. All the promises came to us, and um, he worked in their hearts just like he worked in ours. Verse 9, he made no distinction between us Jews and them Gentiles. How did he make no distinction? He cleansed their hearts by faith, just like our hearts have to be cleansed by faith. 
Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Why would you put on to the burden of the disciples a burden that says, no, add these laws along with believing in Jesus and you'll be okay. Our fathers have never been able to do that. Why would you put that on them? But we believe, verse 11, that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. This is grace alone through faith alone in Jesus, the gospel of grace. And God cleanses. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, you need to have your heart cleansed. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile, the heart is in need of cleansing. And God is the one who will do it. You see that in verse, um, what is that there? Verse 9, that he made no distinction between us and them. He did this by cleansing their hearts by faith. And the means through which God cleanses is faith. You know what faith is? Here's, a, here's one way of thinking of faith. Faith is that great act of looking away from yourself. Looking away from yourself to God. The way that Jonathan Edwards talked about it was venturing your all on Christ. Taking everything that you are and saying, I cast it all upon God. Faith is that great act of looking away from yourself, no longer entrusting yourself to yourself, but now entrusting yourself to God. It's called grace. Verse 11. As long as you remain in a heart condition where you're willing to look to yourself, where you say, no, I'm not quite ready to trust like that. I still want to look within me and trust myself to my thinking. As long as you're willing to stay that way, you'll never trust God, and you're therefore, you will never be cleansed. Because cleansing comes through that act of looking away from yourself to God. And that requires the work of God on your behalf. So, God enlightens dark hearts to know Christ. God cleanses hearts through faith. Number three, God frees the heart from sin to become obedient. These are comforting truths. Go to Romans chapter 6. We'll revisit this great chapter We did a whole series on this. If you're newer to grace, and by newer, I mean even in the last five years, four years maybe, um, go on our website and click on Romans 6 and listen to that because you need to understand how central that is to what just the saving work of God is in Scripture. um, That we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are still harassed by sin. And it's also central to what we are and who we are as Grace Bible Church. But God frees the heart from sin to become obedient. Look at verse 17 of Romans 6. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, that's what you were, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin like a slave, you've now become a slave. Wait a minute. You, I was a slave and you freed me from being a slave so that I could become a slave? Yes, that's the gospel. That's the truth of God. No one is ever set free in the sense that you're not bound to anybody. You're set free from being bound to your sin to being now set free to be bound in God. And there's where real freedom is. You see, we need to have a complete redefinition, according to the Bible, of what freedom is. Freedom is not freedom of the will to not be influenced by any outside force on me, but I am just my own free agent. There has never been such a thing except for Adam at the very beginning. And God. The only kind of freedom that Scripture 
pours out is a freedom that is you're free under the constraints of your master of sin. Yeah, you're free to do anything you want under that master. <laughs> Call it freedom if you want. And guess what? Now in Christ, you are free under your new master, Jesus. And you are free to live under him any way his mastership determines. That's the freedom we get. And that is a much better freedom. It's a much better slavery than the old freedom and the old slavery that we would have had. If I could say it that way. When God saves the sinner, the very first place he goes to work on is the heart. He goes to work on the inner man. That's where bondage to sin exists. That's where we are slaves to hardness of heart. That's where we're slaves to slowness to believe. We are slaves to uh, that, that quickness to want to establish our own self-made religion. And by the grace of God, your, your heart, when he saved you, your heart was able to hear another voice speaking to you above the voice of your master, sin. For the first time, you were able at the heart level to hear another voice besides the voice of your master, sin. And in calling you to himself through the gospel, explaining to you through the preaching of the gospel, Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins and he's raised from the dead, you found yourself compelled to believe. And you did. And you were set free. You became, as it says in verse 17, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. I love, um, see that, to which you were committed. In the original language, that's a passive verb. And what a, you know the difference between an active verb and a passive verb. An active verb, the, 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 the subject is doing the action, right? In a passive verb, the subject is having the action done to them by someone else. This is a passive verb. So you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. You see, you didn't commit your life to Jesus. You didn't commit your life to go follow the truth. You were committed to God's teaching by God. He committed you to it. So you don't pick up obedience by the hand and and commit it to you or you to it. Actually, obedience from the heart grabbed you by the heart, by God's doing, and made you committed to Him. So you don't have obedience to God by the hand. Rather, obedience to God has you by the heart. So God enlightens dark hearts to know Christ. God cleanses hearts through faith. God frees the heart from sin to become obedient to God. Does that mean that you're perfect in your obedience? Why aren't you perfect in your obedience? Because you're a mixed creature. But tell me about what's different in you now compared to what you were before Christ. You could only be obedient then to whom and to what? Sin, the devil, the prince of the power of the air. You walked according to him. That's terrifying. Your own desires. You were enslaved to yourself. But now in Christ, you can be obedient. God has equipped you to be an obedient believer. You can draw upon the resources of God in Christ for you in this new condition. You can draw upon the truth. You've become obedient from the heart. You've been committed to that by God's doing. That's a very comforting truth. If it was up to me to make this heart committed to the obedience that it needs to be committed to, I... I would, there'd be no comfort for me. 
Number four, Christ makes himself at home in hearts by faith. Ephesians chapter three. I love this prayer of Paul. I need to spend more time in it. Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19 is Paul's second prayer in the book of Ephesians. And he says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Here's my prayer that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory, that He would grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. Why? Why would I need to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in my inner man so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. How do you know something which surpasses knowledge? And that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So here it is, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, whom is Paul writing to? He's writing to Christians. And what is he praying for these Christians? He is praying for them that Christ may dwell in their hearts. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't, isn't that what it means to be a Christian? So is he praying that they get saved? No. This is a post-conversion prayer that Paul prays for Christians. And the prayer is that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. So this is not the original indwelling of Christ at conversion being described here. We're not to pray that that would occur for Christians. That already has occurred. But we are to pray for this. This is what Paul's after. A richer, deeper, more practical indwelling of Christ in life. The verb may dwell is actually an intensified verb for dwelling. It doesn't just mean dwell there, but really dwell dwell there. Get intense about dwelling there. Um, It's not the word that they would use for just pitching a tent and staying kind of for a while and then moving on. It'd be like, no, this is where we're going to settle down and put our roots. In fact, let me show you how this word is used over in Colossians 1. You can turn over to Colossians 1 verse 19. Watch this. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him. The fullness of deity dwelling in Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 9 of Colossians. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Can I ask you this question? How did the fullness of deity feel at home in Jesus? Really at home. Really at home. I mean, that the, the deity of God did not want to go anywhere else except just stay there, put roots down in Jesus. It felt very, very much at home. It's that idea back in Ephesians 3 that Jesus, in an increasing manner in your life, even though you are already indwelt by the Spirit of God, even though you are already indwelt by Jesus Himself, even though the Word of Christ richly dwells in you, even though all of that is already true positionally, that you would have an ongoing experience of Christ dwelling in you in an even richer and deeper way. This is the Christian experience with Christ. That there is to be a deeper indwelling of Him. That He would look at you and say, you know what? You're my home. And I am glad to be here. I don't want to be anywhere else. Sometimes we live in such a way that we can make Him feel like maybe He's staying in a hotel. 
But whenever you're in a hotel, it's fun for a while. That's not home. You want to live in such a way, and Paul is praying for them in such a way that Christ would just feel at home in them all the more. So Christ dwells in us positionally. But what kind of a residence does he find you to be, ladies? That's a good question to ask yourself every day. Before you put your head on your pillow or before you pass out at the end of the day, what kind of a home was I for you, Lord? How can I work on that tomorrow? Number five, the last comforting truth. So God enlightens dark hearts to know Christ. God cleanses hearts through faith. God frees the heart from sin to become obedient. Christ makes himself at home in hearts by faith. And and by the way, the the positional indwelling comes by faith, saving faith. The, The more intensified indwelling still comes by ongoing faith. So you're a believer, right, all the time. You're always believing and trusting Christ. And then lastly, number five, Christ establishes hearts without blame in holiness. Go to 1 Thessalonians 3. We'll finish with this. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 11 to 13, and this is another prayer of Paul for the Thessalonian believers. He didn't get to spend very much time with them, if you remember from Acts 17, when we were going through that. He's very concerned about them, but he's just gotten great news from Timothy up in verse 6 that they um, long to see Paul. They love Paul. They miss Paul. And now here's how he's praying. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also abound in love for you. Why? Verse 13 so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. So he wants to make their hearts, that God would make their hearts settled, strong, unshifting. And that kind of establishment at the inner man level needs to be without blame. In other words, Somebody could try to blame you for something, but it just wouldn't stick. So without blame. So they'll throw whatever accusation they can against you, but you are without blame. It just won't stick to you. You're Teflon, okay? just falls right off of you. Uh, and <clears throat> that, you, that God would establish your hearts in holiness. So not just the absence of the negative, but the presence of the positive, that you would be established in your inner man in holiness of life. Where would you be this way? Not before your children, not before your husband, not before your church, not before your elders, but before God. Before God. When? At the coming of our Lord Jesus. That's what Paul's praying for. He's praying for them now for something that is going to happen at the very end. Jesus is coming. And by your connection with him, he will bring you into the presence of God, the Father. And at that moment, you need to be established in holiness of life and without any blame. And this is what I pray for you, that your heart would be this way, that God would do this in you, that God would establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our garden Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. This looks forward to your glorification. This has not happened yet. This is something you could pray for yourself. This is something you could pray for your you know, fellow believers in Christ. But it won't happen until glorification. And it's tied 
to the presence of Jesus Christ when you see him. So think about this. And these five comforting truths. From conversion, from the moment of conversion when God turns the light on and he enlightens your darkened heart. From the beginning of conversion all the way to this day that you haven't even seen yet. The day of glorification with Jesus before God the Father. God is intimately involved with your heart every step of the way. Even to the, 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 the effect that Jesus would dwell in your hearts even more and more at home. Do you see, I mean, from conversion, God is connected with your heart. Faith, he's connected to your heart. It freeing you from sin, he's connected to your heart. Christ feeling at home in your heart all the, your Christian life, God's connected with that Making you well-established at glorification, God is connected with your heart. When does God ever take his hand off the wheel of your heart? Never, 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 never. He's committed himself to your heart in a way, your inner man, your inner woman. He has committed himself to you in a phenomenal way, a way that goes beyond description. These are very comforting truths. God is committed to you. He's committed to you. He will never leave you to yourself. All the way to the end. So then what should be your response? As a Christian, to knowing that God is this way with your heart from beginning to end. What should be your response? What, what should you do? What is to be your response to God's amazing and personal and powerful work in your heart? Can I tell you what it can't be? You can't neglect your heart. You cannot neglect who you are inwardly before God. If God pays that much attention to who you are there, you must shepherd your own heart all of the time. Back to God's word. Back to God's word. Back to God's word. Back to God's word so that you can see who this Jesus is who wants to settle down in your heart so you can see who this God is who freed you and cleansed you by faith and who enlightened your darkened heart, the one who is establishing you to be blameless in that day. What he gives intense attention to, your response is that you must give intense attention to your heart as well on a daily basis. Shepherd your heart to the word of God every day as often as you can. Shepherd your heart there so that you can meet with this God, right? You don't come there first and foremost just to get facts, just to win a theological argument, to answer your kid's tough question. You need to do all that stuff too. That's important at points in time. But you come to this word to know this God. And then, not just in your devotional time or your time meeting with the Lord, your quiet time, do it there. But not just then, but then also throughout the whole day, you bring truth to bear on your mind. Do any of you set alarms? Have you ever set an alarm to shepherd your heart? Can I encourage you to do that? Set an alarm to just stop in the middle of the day. It doesn't matter if you're at work. And by the way, it doesn't take an hour for you to do this. If it just took five minutes, if it took three minutes that you set an alarm and it went off and you just stopped and you opened your phone and you pulled up the scripture that you were going to look at or whatever else, opened your Bible and you just stopped and you just said, 
I am prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. I don't want to move away from the God that I love. So here I am. Fortunately, God, I have to set an alarm for myself to even remind me of these things sometimes. But here I am. I want to be near to you. I want to know you. I want to be pleasing to you. Are my thoughts right now pleasing to you? Am I anxious about anything? Am I being overwhelmed by doubt, fears? Oh, God, replace them. Be my comfort. Bring your heart back. Set the alarm to go off. Call each other. Text each other. Care for each other this way. Um, Shepherd your heart throughout the day so that your heart can remain soft towards him. Okay? Any questions or clarity you want from anything I said? No? Then I'm going to pray and let you guys have your fellowship at the end. All right? Let's pray. Well, Father, what can we say except thank you and we love you and we are amazed at what you have done for sinners like us. Lord, we know that um, you did not do all these things because we deserved it, because we demonstrated to you our worth. Lord, all we were able to demonstrate to you was that we were hardened towards you, um, that we were content to be ignorant of you. We were content to be calloused. We were content to be in the darkness of our reasoning skills. And yet you came and you turned your powerful light on and we could know the glory of God in the face of Jesus in the gospel. A Savior crucified for us, a Savior whose blood was shed so that we might have forgiveness of sin, a a Savior who burst forth from an empty tomb so that we might have newness of life to walk in every day. And you are the God who draws near to us from beginning to end at our heart's level. Lord, thank you for keeping us. Thank you for working in us as you do. Lord, we love you. We need you. We want to pursue you more. Lord, we long for the next condition coming for us in which it will be unmixed and there will be no effort at all needed anymore to flee from sin, to fight against its lingering effects. Just final freedom to enjoy you, to delight in you, to worship you, to marvel at you. We pray that, Lord, in the meantime, while you give us just today, that we would fight hard, that you would help us to not think beyond today. Um, Today has enough worries of its own. Help us, Lord, to be rooted in what you've given to us today and to be pleasing in your sight. By the grace of um, the power of the gospel within us, by your indwelling spirit, Lord, we depend upon you for today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.